Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention now to the microphone behind home plate. And please welcome one of America's premier entertainers, Grammy Award winner, Lee Greenwood. Just my children and my wife Thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Who where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land, God bless the USA. the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee across the plains of Texas from sea to shining sea from Detroit down to Houston and New York to LA where there's pride in every American heart and it's time we stand and say And welcome back to the Forgotten Conservative. Uh, we all know that song. That's Lee Greenwood 
God bless the USA. That was at game four of the 2001 World Series. Um, (laughs) Bear with me. I always play these songs. Uh, Usually it's a national anthem. I wanted to play this because I love that. Uh, It was right there after 9-11. And I always listen to it once through. Uh, 9-11 was a special moment in uh, this nation's history. And... When I see that flag, that was on the tower. Flying at Yankee Stadium for the World Series and hear that song, you know, it's uh, it's pretty stirring, pretty moving. Uh, so I always try to play it once so I can get all that crap out of my system. But, uh, you know, I have to sit there and watch it a second time and, and it's always like the first time. So anyway, um, I wanted to kind of depart a little bit, uh, with this podcast. I've been, you know, working this stuff up in my brain and, uh, you know, I try to go back through history, um, learn about history, and, you know, I've had a philosophy for a long time. You know, growing up, I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, I wanted to be a some type of teacher to write, uh, coach baseball, uh, but in that, the main, my, I had a philosophy, and it's very simple. If you don't know, learn. If you do know, teach. It's pretty simple, but um, it's just, you know, uh, a philosophy that, that I've tried to, to hold true to. And to try and express it in in whatever medium that that I could. Uh, hence, one you know one of the driving reasons behind this podcast. I met a guy a couple of nights ago. I was talking to him, and uh, him and his better half, whatever uh, wife, girlfriend, or whatever it was, and we got to talking about politics. And I never bring it up in social settings. I, I just, I don't do it. But uh, anyway, we got to talking about it. He's a good old boy. And, you know, I was telling him some of the things. And, and this guy had no idea. Uh, guessing his age, I'd say 30-ish, maybe mid-30s. But um, he just had no scope of American history 
And when I say that, it's not for to, to denigrate that individual. It goes to show what we are taught as kids being dependent on the government. I mean, the government is teaching us American history. So it stands to reason that they're only going to teach us what they want us to know. Um, which really, really irritates the crap out of me. Uh, there's a local radio station that, and, and it's not this station, it's the network. Um, the same station here in Jacksonville uh, is the same network of Jack, uh, Orlando, WSB in Atlanta, all over the country, trust me. I've traveled the country. I've listened to these, this network of radios. And they say the top three, top three things you need to know. Okay, who decides the top three things that I need to know? You're a radio station. You know, we're, we're listening to you. Uh, of course, it's talk radio. But... How do you get to decide what I, as an individual, need to know? And that is a microcosm of what Washington, D.C. is. You've got a small group of people in a faraway land telling 350 million people what they need to know. Who, who has that audacity, that arrogance, that hubris? Who, I mean, who has it? Who gave you the authority to tell me only what you think I should know? And I've said this probably at least two, maybe three separate occasions on previous podcasts when it comes to critical race theory or America's original sin or America was founded immorally or um, the founders or framers were slave, owner, slave owners. So... Uh, that automatically means America was founded illegitimately. They have, they suffer from either one or two afflictions. Either they are outright liars. So they know the truth, ignore the truth, and spread lies, i.e. propaganda, or they're ignorant of the truth because the truth is there. We have a library of Congress. We have the Google, which I will demonstrate tonight in the podcast 
that the Google does work, and you can find virtually anything you need to know about American history right there. So when when you turn on local news, broadcast news, and, and when I say broadcast, ABC, CBS, NBC, or cable news, CNN, MSNBC, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And you hear that this country was founded immorally. Again, it is either a lie or that individual is ignorant of our history. So there's been a lot of news lately um, for the record. I, I don't listen to news. I don't watch news. I watch as little as possible TV. Um, I might fix a pizza and, and watch an episode of House or, uh, you know, Blue Bloods or some rerun, maybe Die Hard or something. Um, but I just, I don't watch the news. Um, I try not to listen to talk radio much because I don't want outside influences um, influencing how I think. I want, if I get behind this microphone and speak to you, I want it to be pure original thought. I want it to be something that I've I've looked through. I've got an app. If you're on Android, I think it's called Get Right News. And it has a, a conglomeration of conservative, well, Republican. Not conservative, but Republican news sites. And so... I'll scan through those, look for stories, read headlines, etc. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when I, I come to you from behind this microphone, I don't want to be influenced. Um, I, listen, I do listen occasionally to Mark Levin. When it comes to COVID, I've said before, I listen to Daniel Horowitz. Um he is a no-nonsense, bare-bones, fact, science, etc. guy. Um, but I don't want to be influenced. I want to come to you with original thoughts. Uh, so I did sleep real good last night. Work at odd hours, etc. But... I got to thinking uh, about rhetoric, and I've, I I did a whole podcast on American rhetoric. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to contrast two Republican presidents and two Democrat presidents. That didn't happen, <laughs> so. Um, I ended up, I thought, okay, well, I'll do two 
Republicans and one Democrat. And then right before I started the podcast, I said, you know what? I was working the day Trump gave his inaugural address. But I saw bits and pieces, you know, at that time, uh, what the news, quote unquote, news chose to excerpt. And I thought, you know what? You've never watched the entire speech. You've never read the entire transcript. Now, in all fairness, I didn't do either. I didn't watch it tonight. I didn't uh, read the entire transcript. That that, That wasn't my motive. What my motive here was tonight, I say tonight, it's 420-0423, but what my motive was, was to give the tone, the tone of presidential inauguration speeches. The reason was because I'm, I'm a huge Lincoln fan. Um... I've mentioned the Gettysburg Address, read ex- or read the entire address, and read excerpts from his second inaugural address, which, as far as American rhetoric, you have the Declaration of Independence, and somewhere in there, you've got the Gettysburg Address and Lincoln's second inaugural address. So that's how I started the research for this podcast. So I've got Reagan, Clinton, Lincoln, and Trump. Hopefully I can get through all four of these parsem and show you the difference. Um, I really wanted to include Obama, but personally, um, the more I thought about it, when he campaigned in 08, and then the election night speech, when he campaigned, He said, we want to fundamentally transform America. At some point, I believe it was the speech the night of the election, he made the comment, we are the ones we have been waiting for. That can be summed up pretty quickly. I've used the analogy with couples you meet somebody you fall in love with them and you get married and you love them but there's this and there's that and there's this other thing and you know he or she would be perfect If I could just change this. 
if you love something and you change something, don't you think, doesn't it stand to reason that that changes the person? I mean, think, I, I, my mind's racing and I think about Back to the Future with when Doc is, is telling Michael J. Fox, you know, you met your mother and so the dad hits him instead of the dad, you know, uh, his mom's dad hits McFly, the son, instead of McFly, the dad. So that changes everything. So when Doc's on the chalkboard, he says you're changing the space-time continuum. So when you're trying, when you, you want to change something minor or basic in a spouse... Does it not stand to reason that that may, may change the person overall? Well, yes. So when Barack Obama says, I want to fundamentally change America, we're not talking about, you know, snoring in bed or taking a gas pill before you go to bed. We're talking about breaking down and rebuilding. Destroying everything that has come before you and rebuilding. So I chose not to include Obama in his inauguration speeches, either one of them. <coughs> Excuse me. So the first one I'm going to go through is Reagan. And this is how he started. Senator Hatfield, Mr. Chief Justice, Mr. President, Vice President Bush, Vice President Mondale, Senator Baker, Speaker O'Neill, Reverend Mumaw, and my fellow citizens. To a few of us here today, this is a solemn and most momentous occasion. And yet, in the history of our nation, it is a commonplace occurrence. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in our Constitution routinely takes place as it has for almost two centuries. And few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in this world, this every four-year ceremony we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Mr. President, I want our fellow, fellow citizens to know how much you did to carry on this tradition. By your gracious cooperation in the transition process, you have shown a watching world that we are a united people 
pledged to maintaining a political system which guarantees individual liberty to a greater degree than any other. And I thank you and your people for all your help in maintaining the continuity which is the bulwark of our republic. That's the first two paragraphs of Reagan's first inaugural speech. So he pays homage. You write a letter, dear John, okay? So he addresses uh, Senator Hatfield, Chief, the Chief Justice that swears him in, Jimmy Carter, his Vice President, Carter's Vice President, Speaker of the House, Majority Leader of the Senate, the Reverend who did um, the invocation, and then my fellow citizens. And he talks about, not it's not so much as a peaceful transfer of power, but he, he ad addresses that as in honor of the Constitution. That that's what the Constitution calls for. And he cites almost two centuries. That was 1980. Well, 81. But, and he says, a few of us stop to think how unique we really are. Fast forward to when Biden allegedly won that election and you heard all the talk going into the election of, and then obviously post-election, how Donald Trump would never relinquish power. The Democrats ran a commercial of a little kid basically waking up to a nightmare. The mommy coming in there to check on him and he said something to the effect of, you know, President Trump not leaving the White House. He further addressed Jimmy Carter, thanked and praised him for their help, the administration's help in the peaceful con uh, transfer and quote, gracious cooperation in the transition process, unquote. And that he had shown the rest of the world how two differing parties, how two differing philosophies of governing can pass the torch from one to the other. And how that is a, quote, bulwark of our republic. That was 1981 at Reagan's first inaugural address. 
Clinton. This is the beginning of his first inaugural address. My fellow citizens, today we celebrate the mystery of American renewal. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. Number one, he didn't address former President uh, George H.W. Bush, the Chief Justice, nor anyone one else. You see the contrast just in that beginning. It's a huge contrast. In other words, I'm the president. I don't need anything from anybody else here. I'm the president. Now, you may think that's harsh. You may think I have a disdain for Clinton. But it speaks to the individual that he would not Acknowledge the Chief Justice. Mm. And I did not look this up, but if memory serves, it would have been Rehnquist. But don't quote me. I don't know that. The point is, he addressed nobody other than my fellow citizens. Today we celebrate the mystery of American renewal. There is no mystery. America has a single founding principle that all men are created equal by their creator, God. It's not a mystery. I, I, I mean, I don't. Now, mystery of American renewal. How is it renewed? How is America renewed? You see how. Language matters. This ceremony is held in the depth of winter. But by the words we speak and the faces we show the world, we force the spring. A spring reborn in the world's oldest democracy that brings forth the vision and courage to reinvent America. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, that paragraph says a mouthful. We hold the ceremony in the midst of winter, but by the words we speak and the faces we show the world. What is the faces? mean. 
the faces that we show the world, we force the spring. Spring is spring, brother. How do you force the spring? Do you know how the, how the spring, the first day of spring is determined? Slick Willie, do you really know? Do you know why it's different every year, a different day? It's because the earth wobbles on its axis. That's why it's not the same date every year. So who are the faces we show the world in order to force the spring? That was 1993. Do you know what the big crisis was in 1993? Global warming. So here he, he's two, three sentences into his inauguration. He didn't say um, the greatness of America. He didn't say the exceptionalism of America. He said the mystery of American renewal. And then says, by the faces, which is code for our lifestyle, using up fossil fuels, we show the world and we force the spring because we're going to cut winter short. A spring reborn in the world's oldest democracy, which he will tell you his mother named him William Jefferson after Jefferson, i.e. Jeffersonian democracy, little d, democracy. That brings forth the vision and courage to reinvent America. 1993, Obama, 2008, reinvent, transform. It goes on. When our founders boldly declared America's independence to the world and our purposes to the Almighty, they knew that America, to endure, would have to change. Why would America have to change? We are founded on a principle that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator to certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why would America have to change? It goes on. Not change for change's sake, but change to preserve America's ideals, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is a trick that Democrats, Obama was marvelous at it. To denigrate 
the country, to talk about changing the country, and then say, preserve America's ideals, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is the end result. The only way you get to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is in the founding principle that all men are created equal, which is what we were founded on, i.e., when we go back and we hear these blanky blanks on TV saying America was founded on slavery, we know it's not. Though we march to the music of our time, our mission is timeless. We march to the music of our time, which means we're smarter, we have more science, we know more in general that we did 200 years ago, we know better. That's the progressive mindset. Each generation of Americans must define what it means to be an American. Personally, I think Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Sam Adams, Hancock, Madison, Hamilton. I think those guys had a pretty damn good idea of a definition and what it means to be an American. I think when Lee Greenwood, Greenwood pins a song and says, but I'll gladly stand next to you and defend her still today. He's got a pretty damn good definition of what it means to be an American because he didn't say black, white. He didn't say uh, Baskin Robbins, 63 flavors of gender identity. He said, I will gladly stand next to you and defend her still today. Now we're going to, I want to cover Trump briefly because I had not heard this, but this is Trump. Chief Justice Roberts, President Carter, President Clinton, President Bush, fellow Americans, and people of the world. Thank you. Do you see the, the just how subtle of a difference that is? Does that not... I mean, it's simple. We, the citizens of America have now joined a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all our people. 
Together we will determine the course of America for many, many years to come. Together we will face challenges. We will confront hardships, but we will get the job done. Every four years, we gather on these steps to carry out the orderly and peaceful transfer of power. And we are grateful to President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama for their gracious aid throughout this transition. They have been magnificent. Thank you. Now I want to pause there for just a second. <clears throat> Trump already knew that Obama had unleashed the intelligence services. He already knew at the time of his inauguration, he, of course, he didn't know the extent. Nobody, it was impossible. But he already knew the extent that they were spying on him. Because if you'll recall, he was doing his transition out of his hotel in New York. And a general come to him and said, hey, dude, they're spying on you. You got to move. I don't care where you go. GTFO of this hotel. Yet, he thanks them. Gracious aid throughout. Gracious. Same thing Reagan said. Today's ceremony, however, has very special meaning because today we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, but transferring it from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. So he turned and looked at Obama and then said, it has special meaning because today we're taking this power from D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital have reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. Washington flourished but the people did not share in its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. Now, Inauguration Day is January 20th. The line, the establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. What did the establishment do virtually the entire four years with Donald Trump? It protected itself. I don't know who wrote Trump's speech. I don't know his hand in editing. But as I read that speech, 
I thought, how prophetic. Because I looked, and this was way before COVID. I looked as the, at the establishment with Trump. <laughs> I swear to God, this was before COVID. As a virus in a body, as a living, breathing entity trying to defend itself against Trump. The worst thing Trump could have done was say, drain the swamp. Because from that day forward, he brought himself under attack. But real quick, I want to cover the perspective of these three, Reagan, Clinton, Trump. Reagan and Trump comes from a perspective of humility. Yeah, I know. Trump, big, bad, mean, orange man, mean tweets. Okay. But the rhetoric that he used at the beginning of his inauguration, the first, well, okay, Reagan's first, Clinton's first, was very similar. And I I don't know Trump's thoughts on Reagan, never heard him, but I can assure you the speech writer probably doesn't know much Reagan history. They both come from humility, whereas Clinton's came from power. Um, I would say an assertion of dominance. I, I don't want to get caught up in that word, but authority i.e. authoritarian. Whereas both Trump and Reagan mentioned the Constitution and the people. That's the difference in those three. Now we want to go to the man. And I hope I have enough time to cover this. Lord, I do. Because I'd hate to think I put Lincoln on the back burner and spent time on Slick Willie. Because we know he's... Anyway. Lincoln starts out, in compliance with a custom as old as the government itself, I appear before you to address you briefly and to take in your presence the oath prescribed by the Constitution of the United States to be taken by the President before he enters on the execution of this office. I do not consider it necessary at present for me to discuss those matters of administration about which there is no special anxiety or excitement. So in other words, he wants to 
comply with the custom of the transfer of power. As he enters on the execution of this office. Now, he says, address you briefly, but this is one of Lincoln's longer speeches. He does not want to discuss matters of administration, which there is no special anxiety or excitement. So he wants to address the nuts and bolts of 1860. Apprehension seems to exist among the people of the southern states that by the accession of a Republican large R administration, their property and their peace and personal security are to be endangered. There have never been any reasonable cause for such apprehension. Indeed, the most ample evidence to the contrary has all the while existed and been open to their inspection. It is found in nearly all of the published speeches of him who now addresses you. I do not quote from one of those speeches when I declare that. So what he's telling you is he was elected president. He has nothing to hide. When he says that, he comes from the reference of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Those were three-hour debates. Each speaker had an hour and a half. There were seven of them. Lincoln gave a series of speeches after Douglas was appointed senator following the 1958 election. Running, got about eight and a half minutes left, so I want, now I've got to pick and choose what I want to read. Uh, let's see here. There are a couple. But if destruction of the Union by one or by a part only of the states be lawfully possible, the Union is less perfect than before the Constitution, having lost the vital element of perpetuity. What he's talking about there is in the Constitution, it says, in order to create a more perfect union. At the time he was inaugurated, seven states had succeeded. They had sent, I don't remember if, if they refer to themselves as ambassadors or delegates, but these seven states had sent delegates to Washington to, to negotiate with Lincoln. And he said, no, you have no business succeeding. You can't succeed. You cannot lawfully succeed from the union. There is one, a couple of particular lines. 
that he takes a little dig at uh, Tani, Chief Justice Tani, that inaugurates him uh, about the Dred Scott case, which is probably the worst Supreme Court ruling in American history. He says, I have no purpose to directly or indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery in the United States where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so. So in other words, in all the states where slavery was, Lincoln, who was a, a lawyer, did not think the Constitution gave him the power to abolish it. So he wouldn't mess with it. But Lincoln was staunch. When he says, you have heard my speeches, he knew that he would not stand for slavery expanding to the new states. Plainly, the central idea of succession is the essence of anarchy. A majority held in restraint by constitutional checks and limitations and always changing easily with deliberate changes of popular opinions and sentiments is the, is the only true sovereign of a free people. Whoever rejects it does of necessity fly to anarchy or to despotism. Unanimity is impossible. Here's the key sentence. The rule of a minority as a permanent arrangement is wholly inadmissible so that rejecting the majority principle, anarchy or despotism in some form is all that is left. The rule of a minority as a permanent arrangement is wholly inadmissible so that rejecting the majority principle, anarchy or despotism in some form is all that is left. Think about Washington, D.C., Pelosi, AOC, Tlaib, Chucky Schmucky Schumer. You have such a small minority of people. Bernie Sanders, Biden, taking this country down the road to perdition to that event horizon I spoke about. When I say history repeats itself, it's all here, black and white. That's why I wanted to read that statement.
the rule of a minority as a permanent arrangement. So what he's saying is seven states have succeeded. How do seven states get to rule the rest of them? And guess what? If seven states rule the rest, 50 years down the road, there might be three of those seven that rule the rest. It goes back to, well, I don't want to go down that road, but it, it just goes to show you that Lincoln had the forethought to say, if the minority rules now and you win, there may be an, another minority 50 years from now that's going to rule you. <coughs> Excuse me. This is how he closes. In your hands, my dissatisfied fellow countrymen, and not in mine, is the momentous issue of civil war. The government will not assail you. You have no conflict without being yourselves the aggressors. You have no oath registered in heaven to destroy the government. While I shall have the most solemn one to preserve, protect, and defend it. So he says, I'm going to defend the nation, the union. I'm going to protect the union. I am loath to close. We are not enemies, but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained it, must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic cords of memory stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the Union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature that's poetry that's the Bible that's how that man thought and wrote and spoke I am loath to close we are not enemies but friends let us not forget the battlefields and the patriot graves by the better angels of our nature, by the good that Aristotle said was in each and every living soul. Alrighty, I am seriously out of time. Like, subscribe, share, Thank you for indulging me and my nerd passion. Thank you for listening to The Forgotten Conservative. Good night.